0: Hello everybody, my name is Roy Orbison Jr. and this is Wayne Moss. Uh, Welcome to Roy Orbison Jr.'s Rock and Roll Circus podcast. I'm a big Orbison fan and it's a great honor to be here with Wayne. He's done so much, we're just going to skim a little bit of it and we'll start at the beginning and end at the end. I play guitar, and I, you know, my favorite guitarists: James Burton, Steve Cropper, Jimmy Page, Joe Pass. There's quite a few, but for me personally, the real legends—the one I can cry right now—if you want me to, I can shed a tear over this guy. <laughs> you know, when when you talk about Hank Garland, when you talk about Grady Martin, when you talk about Jerry Kennedy, when you talk about Billy Sanford, when you talk about Wayne Moss. These were. These are—they call them the Nashville Cats, but there's so much more, and they're—they're—they're they're, they're connected a lot with Elvis. All these guys, so they all go, "Oh, that's Elvis's band." But for me, they were always Roy's band. Uh, Roy didn't always take them out on tour because these guys didn't mostly leave Nashville. They—they they were union guys. They were the best in the world, but they were getting a steady paycheck, and they would play on songs just to try to get their uh, pension, their retirement. It's. Nowhere else in the world does it really exist. Maybe the BBC in England, but these guys were just, doing, you know, song after song after song. So I'm just going to guess you must have played on three thousand, five thousand, seven thousand no songs. I, no, I got here but in
1: it, 1959 and and uh, been working sessions for about twelve years after that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or l- longer than that actually. But <clears throat> I, I got to tell you a funny story about Roy. Charlie McCoy, Kenneth Butcher, and I were involved in a lot of Roy's things. One of the things I didn't tell you about was when Butcher was out on the road with Roy. You would have a secret knock at the at the door on the motel so he'd know who it was, and it's dun 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 knew he'd know it was a band member. See. But um, first time I worked with Roy was at the Clinic Bowl Ball in Nashville with Charlie McCoy and the Escorts were backing him up, and Charlie had just done uh, his first session with Roy, and um, Bob Moore hired him, and um, it was a, uh, it was it's kind of funny Roy uh, couldn't see real well and 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 he heard the the guy bringing Charlie on and saying, Charlie McCoy is a musical wizard, the sound of the South. You've heard him on um, all these records by Ann-Margaret and stuff. And he said, Candyman. And Roy said, oh, that must be me. And he started walking up on the stage. And we said, no, 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 not yet. Anyway, we, we backed him up there. He went over great. And um, I think that was in the a, a Hippodrome skating rink. Hmm. which is now a uh, performance studios where they sell costumes mm-hmm. or stuff. But um, we had a had a lot of fun. Worked a, um, a place in Illinois one time with the escorts and uh, backing up Roy. And, uh, and a hurricane came by and we all ran for cover. And we came back out after... The, the storm had passed, and Buttrey's, um snare drum was sitting right where it was, but it was about that much water on top of it. It was an outdoor gig? Yeah, it was an outdoor gig. Well, first off, that's still the, the Orbison So
0: You just gave that away for everyone. <laughs> oh, everybody <laughs> knows <laughs> now that you did But it always was, and we still use it. So Alex and I, we use it on each other, and <laughs> you know, we know who's coming along. Um, but Buttry was on that Farm Aid thing with him. Yeah, and, um, when you say Kenny Buttry, for me, I only got to know him in the later years and he was he was like a stereotypical kind of drummer. He was a wild man. He was he was great and dad put up with all his stuff, but he was the wildest guy I know. in Roy's later years. Yeah. In the early years there was a lot of wild stuff. Johnny Cash and Roy, they were blowing up fireworks in the hotel rooms and you know, kind of mischievous, kind of fun, but uh but but Kenny was was really good, but he was he was wild, he loved me, so he'd throw me around and stuff, but uh, but Kenny Buttrey, uh he came out on the road, and sometimes I would wonder why we had such a crazy guy. And and my dad would just he's go the best like, best was Yeah, though, man. It yeah. doesn't <laughs> get any better than Buttrey. Yeah, He would say, yeah, you know, he, he's the best drummer there is. Yeah, Buttrey and I were next door neighbors for a lot of years. Well, you guys have some fun. There's plenty of stuff we can't say in these podcasts, <laughs> in these, in these uh, whole lot. tapes. Uh, but uh, but we, we you know we still Sit miss him. I see his wife around every now and then. Yeah. I used to, and uh, and he was great. But I never knew exactly how he fit in the story. I never knew he was uh, so he
1: was quite so early and so good. He was um, he was working uh, a place called the King of Clubs one time when he was twelve or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's he, one of those. Guys. They sold beer in there, so he had to come in through the kitchen, and uh, it was absolutely amazing. And um, he, uh, he ended up playing with Bob Dylan on Blonde on Blonde, and um, a whole lot of things that he and McCoy and I did together, Fats Domino, a lot of people. And, um, he, and he and Charlie did a whole bunch of Elvis things, those movies he mm-hmm. had, and, and um,
0: a tremendous drummer. I never made that connection. I didn't know you were so closely allied with him. I never made that connection. So when you say Ken, Kenny Buttrey, I, I was like, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah, we grew up with him. Yeah, we grew up with him. And I just, I, yeah, now I miss him even more, knowing that uh, that he played with Elvis and things. I have a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm a big Elvis fan. And uh, you played on Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. Blonde, on Blonde and did you do Nashville Skylines? Uh,
1: I was hard for it. But um, let, me, let me back up. OK. When we did Blonde on Blonde, he had, uh, like, sad-eyed lady of the lowlands. We were hired for a two o'clock session. Dylan showed up at six. And 8.30 the next morning, we made one cut on the song because he had to get work on some lyrics and stuff. So we were all coffeeed up. and From six in the evening to 8.30 the next morning? 8.30 the next
0: morning. So you did a 13-hour thing before you
1: actually kind of got to right. recording. A lot of coffee, <laughs> played ping-pong, whatever. and. Um, so anyway, fast forward to the Nashville Skyline. He said, I got to work on some lyrics, y'all take five. Uh-oh, I know where this is going. So I got out my guitar and I started writing my own song, pissed Dylan off bad. He said, we're not gonna need moss on this, tell him to sign a card and go home. So I went fishing, yeah. I was okay
0: with it. Okay, yeah. I, um, I have a little story from about that time around Nashville Skylines, if that's the second one, that would be around 75, I was about five years old playing in the backyard. And nobody, we we didn't have guards, obvious guards, but there were people hidden, you know, at the front of the house and things that, uh, and so anyone who came around made it to our pool in the backyard. We lived there on the point in Hendersonville. Anyone who got that far were the crazy fans, <laughs> or you know, uh, we had so many fans. We we lost about thirteen dogs just we let them out, and the fans. You know, three thousand fans a day would come by our house in those days. Wow. The tour buses, so they wanted Roy Orbison's dog. So they just opened the do- door, and we <laughs> we lost so many dogs that way. So, and those were the normal fans. So the crazy ones, you know, if they got around to the back, they were, sorry, uh, wonderful fans. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> there were, uh, if that was you, I'm sorry, but th- those were the that was usually the dangerous fans, yeah. you know. And uh, this fellow came around and. Um, this, I only remember the story from my mom telling me in a way I, I actually do remember it but but it sounds better in third person kind of that I, I come running and I just shut the door and lock it I go mommy mommy there's a burglar there's a burglar <laughs> and she comes back to the back to see and there's Bob Dylan and he was looking a little bit unkempt and hadn't you know he would brush his hair and was that was his style and uh, and it was Bob Dylan so she let him in and he was just making the rounds he was seeing nashville and he came out to visit roy and um we all talked about that years later with the traveling wilburys mm-hmm. roy had the traveling wilburys uh, did you like the traveling wilburys oh, yeah. all those when, years uh, later when the long heard,
1: players yeah it, asked me to come down and play with them yeah play pretty women with them on the Wilburys album yeah and i did yeah
0: but um but when that happened all those years later this would be you know 30 40 years later years to see later. roy and uh Bob in the same band uh, was that a surprise? Well, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. And did you listen to the album? Did you like the album? Handle I, with I Care? actually
1: didn't listen to it all that much, but um,
0: well, I'm gonna get you a copy. There's, okay, it's never great. too late to, to love the traveling Wilburys. Um, that's
1: true. Roy, in that he was a
0: lefty Wilbury, and, and he mm-hmm. we were he was going through a lefty Wil uh, lefty Frizzell yeah. kind of renaissance, you know. You know how you listen and later in life, you go back and visit mm-hmm. great books and great music. He was he was back into Lefty Frizzell, really heavy. Uh, he was great, right the t- Yeah, I played
1: that, on Saginaw, Michigan with him.
0: I, that's a song. <laughs> uh, when if you leave me alone for a little while, you know how you you, you meander onto songs that are kind of imprinted. Um, I end up doing Always Late with Your Kisses, mm-hmm. Always Late, and I end and Saginaw, Michigan. We. <laughs> uh, we listened to that. I listened to that with Roy and made him, you know, tell we. From the time I was little, I would ask him about lyrics for songs that I didn't understand, mm-hmm. uh, and that was just a normal song. But I would say, you know, I, I had to really get to the bottom of what that story. I still love song stories. They're all but gone in today's world. There's nobody tells uh, story songs anymore, but. But that one is a great one, Saginaw, Michigan. I loved a girl in Saginaw, Michigan. I can't believe you played on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, just that even. I just, Can I touch you? <laughs> can I touch you? Uh, that is uh, that's one of my favorites. He loved Mom and Pop's waltz, Mom and Dad's mm-hmm. waltz. That one got him crying about the old days. But uh, but for me, my three favorite, always late with your kisses, Saginaw, Michigan. That's my And I play those. I play Saginaw, Michigan still. It's just a fun one. Um, and, and I wasn't really steering us into Lefty. So this was just me talking and uh, and we can talk about Bob Dylan or we can talk about Roy Orbison or Lefty Frizzell. Um, let me see where else, uh, what, what else I'm thinking straight away.
1: Uh, um, let me tell you about the session where we cut um, um, Pretty Woman. Oh, yes. First of all, Roy brought his drummer mm-hmm. and he and Fred Foster, who was producer, had a little disagreement about whether or not he was going to be able to play a bunch of buzzsaw licks. And Fred said, no, we want you to play four. And if we, for any fails, we'll let Buddy Harmon do them. Oh, man, anybody can do that. A monkey can, he said, do you want to be on this session or not? And Roy went out and got him a Coke. He didn't like Conflict so he and fred came to an agreement that he would play four four and um it worked really well but uh, there were several people on the session that you don't really hear all that well on the on the finished product charlie mccoy and boots randolph played saxophones boots played a baritone charlie played a tenor and uh, fred foster elected not turn him up very loud they just went bought up But, you know, and that's, it added to the mix, but the the guitars were Jerry Kennedy, Billy Sanford, and myself, and Roy played a 12 string. And um, so, it's actually four guitars. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Ray Eddington was playing rhythm guitar, but he had a session at Bradley's Barn which is way out in Mount Juliet. And the session went a half hour over, as you can tell by the contract I got for you. But uh, 30 minutes from Foster Studio to Mount Juliet is a pretty long clip. So he didn't take time to sign the time card. <laughs> That's cost him a lot of money over the years. But he didn't want to make one Bradley mad, so he just left. So, um, I'm wow. sure he regrets that. Well, so who played those great? Uh, well, first off, Floyd wait, Kramer.
0: Floyd Kramer. He played piano. Yeah, I thought he played it, a chink on the piano. One. Okay. Chink, chink. No, but in the middle, in that bridge part, where it's the waterfall cascading. Oh, the uh, tremolo <laughs> guitar. No, the piano. It's in the in the uh, pretty woman stop a while. Yeah. Pretty woman, uh, it starts to like cascade. Do Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. do 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 do. Who was playing that? I, I assumed it was um, Floyd. Floyd. So he was pla- He so he played saxophone and then played piano. He was no, doing Floyd p-
1: Kramer played piano. Oh, he played piano. Uh, who, oh, Boots, Boots Randolph. Randolph okay, I'm
0: sorry, I, I confused that for just a second. Yeah, I knew that w- would have to be Floyd Kramer, and yeah, Boots played, and Charlie McCoy was there. Uh, Roy always called him uh, his good luck charm. Mm-hmm. Whatever reason. he said, I'd pay. I'd pay Charlie to be around, even if he didn't play on the song. <laughs> and he did. He would. He would have Charlie there, even if he didn't play. Um, other people there were there a lot of times were would be uh, Budlo Bryant. Mm-hmm. He'd have Boodlo, uh Boodlo there on songs that Budlo had nothing to do with. Uh, Roy just liked him there. And uh, Pretty Woman had two drummers. It was one of the first songs that had two drummers. And one drummer almost can't play it. It, it because of that aspect that you're talking about. One is yeah. doing; it's just, it, it's beautiful. It's so complicated that way. Uh, my brother Alex redid it uh, recently for the Royal Philharmonic mm-hmm. Orchestra album, and he had to do it in two two tracks. Mm-hmm. He did one that was the one drummer, and one that was the call and response kind of thing. Um, there's so many things uh, that are strange about that song that. Uh, people don't quite realize. The first riff is in 6-4. It's... So it's in 6-4. That's already amazing. No one ever gets the song right. when you're If you're on a cruise ship or a bar, I mean, I've never heard anybody play mm-hmm. it right because of that. And even, even on the black and white night, Bruce Springsteen comes in like a... Uh, half a bar too yeah. early on one thing. He goes, "Is she?" And then he he corrects it. But uh, and I've made that mistake myself. I've been on uh, you know doing a chorus with a bunch of people at, at something, and and me, I'm coming in too early. Um, I don't do that anymore. I worked on it. <laughs> but uh, but it also has some things that I just i I never got to ask my dad, and there's no way to really know. But but. Uh, you know, did he plan this or was this I think he did, natural, yeah. you know? Uh well there's there's an extra bar of two four in Pretty Woman uh on the D chord, you know, as it passes around sometime it's, you know, uh and when you add the two four to the four four, it's six four. So there's little six mm-hmm. fours hidden in there. And uh and Oh, there's just a lot of magic, and there's a lot of architecture in there. And it's Roy was either tapped into something very natural, and it just came out like that, or he was just some kind of genius and planned it. And and that sure ends up being. I tell you that. It, It's a little of both. It had to be work and yeah. and luck and genius and and um, mistakes. In the in the song "Crying," he there there's one of those there where he goes, you know, um, and you stopped. To say, say hello. hello, you know, and I hear that later in Macy Gray songs, and I hear it in disco songs, and I hear like I I haven't found it earlier. I always like I'm, musicology is like my hobby, so I like to try to go back and find who was the first or who did this. Um, I'm sure it was in. It must have been in like a Bing Crosby th- a mm-hmm. dance where he stops and then keeps going. Um, probably some cinema song, but uh, but that was genius. I didn't find out about till about three years ago. That in It's Over, it's, he says, echoes to you, that's all, that's all. I, I've been listening to that since I was a little kid. I didn't realize that is the echo, you know, setting suns before they fall, echo to you, that's all, that's all. I thought he was just fitting syllables into the structure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was driving down the car, I nearly, I had to pull over the car, I nearly wrecked I, when I finally figured out. And it's almost like, I thought, like, did he leave this as a little puzzle just for me to figure out? <laughs> yeah, way later, way later, you know, 40 years later in my life, I echo to you, that's all, that's all, that's the, that's all, that's all, that's all, that's echoing down the canyons. Roy Orbison Jr.'s Rock and Roll Circus podcast. Join us next time for part two with Wayne Moss.